Welcome to the TBD Podcast, To Be Determined. My name is Erica Berger, and I'm your host and convener. Life can be messy. On To Be Determined, we talk with artists, entrepreneurs, and world shapers about how they pick through their messy lives and become more resilient. As our guests reflect vulnerably on their own journeys, we hope their stories will help you better explore yours. After all, shouldn't life be TBD to be determined? My guest this week is Magdalena Sartori. I talked with her about shared evolution, awareness training, connecting with the feminine, and the importance of spaces. Magdalena has a long history of creating spaces. She's had a successful career in architecture and development. Originally from Uruguay, she's lived and worked all over the world. Paris, Geneva, Hong Kong, and now her home, New York City. And it's here in New York where she's created a special space. I met Magdalena at The Assemblage, a movement she co-founded. It lives in a set of buildings in South Manhattan. I love the space she's created so much that I couldn't help but gush a little. So, <laughs> not to freak you out or anything, but um, I think you're the reason I'm here, and you're the reason a lot of my friends are here, and you're the reason some some new magic and new community building is happening in New York. <laughs> mm, let me react to that. Um, I actually tend to say that I didn't build anything. I just um, manifested something that existed in the collective conscious conscious of all of us, really. Um, I love that. We just happen to have the buildings that also, surprisingly enough, have been crowdfunded, so they're actually owned by a bunch of people. They're not owned by a corporation or an investor. Uh, they're owned by the crowd, and it's pretty amazing that this is happening in those buildings. You heard that right. This amazing movement is happening in a crowdfunded building in Manhattan. What Magdalena Sartori manifested lives in a community-owned space. And what she's manifested is an assembly of people, a movement. So now I want to talk a little bit about this community you keep referring to, the assemblage. Um, the name, when I first read it, um, reminded me of um, like a Stalin-era <laughs> like Russian um, group. I, I didn't really understand <laughs> what it was. But then when I read the tagline, it, it made a lot of sense. Can you tell our listeners what the assemblage is and means and why you guys named the community this? Mm -hmm. So it's a um, community of people that believe that a collective conscious evolution is possible. And what that means is that we are the first species on this planet that can choose on their own evolution, on where it goes. Uh, plants don't choose how they grow. Animals don't really think about more than survival. But we can define where our civilization is going to go. And we, have, we hold that future in our hands. Um, so basically that means that as a species, we have a choice to make. So either to continue the way we're going and basically disappear or extinguish ourselves or create a different more evolved species that's going to take over the planet and humanity. When you say more evolved, can you be a little bit more specific? Are you talking about our brains? Are you talking about um, our physical bodies? What do you mean? Well, we don't know exactly how it's going to look like, 
but we know that it can only happen by coming together. It can only happen collectively if the last one of us decides to join that movement and come together and figure it out, basically. And that's why we call it the assemblage. It's because it's about assembling those people that believe that changing our future is possible and envisioning our new society is possible. Um, we know that today's society is not sustainable in many ways. Um, even personally, we cannot continue surviving this way. Um, and we know that it starts by assembling, by coming together and just creating some sort of collectiveness. Um, so this is really just a place for people to start doing that. Um, we, we say, well, we say we provide a container, we provide the space for that to happen, and then we don't have the answers. We, that's going to come from the community. Right. So to be a little bit more specific, um, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, what you mean by providing the space, besides the actual physical space and besides the beautiful lunch meal I saw people having together today and the offices, whether they're dedicated desks or free space, um, you actually are hosting courses and classes and sessions every night and group meditations in the afternoons and, and yoga. And, and so it's, it's almost like having an adult school, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's... Like it's deconstructing the way we live and the way we work. So if we can envision our future, let's start by thinking how do you want to work? How do you want to live? Uh, do you want to stop at 3 p.m. and go do a sound meditation for 30 minutes to stay connected? Do we want to, instead of ordering food in our desk, we want to go down and share a meal with others and eat an Ayurvedic meal that's aligned with the cosmos and eat plant-based things that are good for your body? Do we want to go up into the herb bar at night and not have alcohol to continue numbing ourselves, but actually have nutrients that enhance your body? Uh, it's about deconstructing all these things and thinking about how can we do small steps to change our reality. So I'm bought in. Um, I'll be explicit with our listeners because I've been a yogi for 16 years and a meditator for five and a half and grew up Kabbalistic and, and mystical um, and have explored lots of different facets of religion. But um, for those of you out there who are listening and are thinking, like, this sounds great, but how does it scale? Um, how do we scale something like this? And, you know, I wouldn't assume that every um, type of community would look and feel the exact same way. But how do you go from this beautiful space that we're in right now, where I'm staring at a, a giant fern and also staring at uh, the Chrysler building and and we're in Midtown South in New York, essentially. How do you go from this to more people having access to this? Well, that's the whole point of it, right? It's about giving access to everyone. Um, I would personally consider it a failure if this week comes a space for a few enlightened peoples, and I'm quoting that. Um, we purposely decided not to have an application process um, we don't choose members uh, because who am I to define someone is good enough to be here or not. They choose us. If someone decides they want to be part of it, then they should be part of it. Um, so it's accessible to anyone. Um, and everyone, we believe, has that spark in, inside themselves that it's more or less accessible depending on our life story or our traumas or our current uh, present state. 
Um, so the idea is to open this in many, many places. Um, we're opening two other buildings. Next one's going to have living. So we have 81 bedroom apartments. They're going to be avail available for the community. We're opening the third one around the corner next year. Uh, we are opening a place upstate uh, to do retreats, to connect with nature. That's a big part of our concept. Um, and the idea is to continue opening those places. As long as people see the need in those, um, they can use them as a shelter to start experiencing something different. I feel like your future tagline is going to be collective evolution for all. <laughs> exactly. It has to be plural. That's the only way. Yeah. This idea that we can, together, choose how we evolve our society, it's a pretty radical idea. Collective evolution for all you can't just build on this idea wherever you want. This idea could only grow in a special place. Magdalena carried and nurtured her idea of evolution all around the world. No place, however, felt quite the right place to manifest her philosophy. Then she moved to New York to do a master's in real estate. And when I moved to New York, I had this feeling of home um, um, where I met people that really shared a lot of my values. Uh, I was vegetarian at the time, which in Europe was something very unusual six years ago. Um, and moving to New York was like suddenly I have people surrounding me that share a lot of the values. I have to say, I have been a vegetarian for 13 years, and I spent some time in Paris, and I've never been so sick because there was not vegetarian options that gave mm -hmm. a balanced diet. It was so interesting. Yeah. It's so different, but I think it's different now. Mm -hmm. I think it's changing now. Um, but I think New York was one of these hops where, you know, I think for everything you would feel um, they're so ahead of their time in a lot of things that you can feel that you can be yourself in different ways. Yeah, it's funny. Like, I lived in New York for eight years. Um, and, and the resounding story that people who are not from New York tell is that New York is for intense people, everyone's a workaholic, everyone parties mm. really hard. Um, but what doesn't get talked about oftentimes is how much space um, New York gives for people to be their, their truest selves. Mm. And in all of the extremes, right? Your craziest self, your most workaholic self, but also your happiest self, your most playful self, even your mm. healthiest self, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that doesn't get brought up a lot. And I. I, what I do agree with is that, you know, living in New York in your 20s is a great way to find yourself. Um, mm -hmm. But I find very few cities in the world allow you the space and also the access to such a diverse group of people and experiences to mm -hmm. actually do that. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's any other place where we could have started the assemblage today. It Not even Los happen. Angeles. Not even LA. <laughs> Tell me why. Um, I don't know LA very well. But my impression is that it's still very um, ghettoized. How do you say that? Um, there is something about the mindfulness world that um, it lives in a bubble yes. and it's disconnected from reality, I would say, or disconnected from the international network systems. Um, there is that bubble concept that it's something that, to be honest, it scares me also, you know, with what we're doing. Yeah, it's funny. Like, now that I know that you're an architect, which I didn't know before, do you think that the density of New York City, the fact that we're surrounded by a bunch of offices, we're actually sitting across from an armory right now, mm -hmm. a historic armory that has art shows and, and charity events and 
Um, we're really close to the water. I mean, do you just think that the density here allows for movements like the meditation movement to permeate more quickly to more people? Yeah, I never thought about it that way. But I do think that New York offers everything, and once there is a movement happening at some at some level, it impregnates all of the other movements, so it spreads faster. Um, it's like as if in a body you were, you had access to the heart versus one of the arms. So it, I love it that has metaphor. more impact. Hmm. New York's like the heart, and LA the is heart. like an yeah. appendage. <laughs> <laughs> so good. So um, tell me a little bit about the journey once you graduated from Columbia and once you found your people in New York and you felt like you could be your your truest self. um, What were some of the lessons you you learned throughout the process of the last few years Mm. of building a company, of finding your community? Um, Walk me through something that was a little bit challenging for you and and how you came out on the other side. Mm. So I still went through a whole process after Columbia because I had this conditioning uh, where I had to be, to consider myself successful. I had, you know, to be a manager or to be um, owner of a company or something like that. I had that image of of what being successful meant. Um, And partly because I'm still a Gen X uh, generation. Uh, so I have that conditioning. So I finished school and I wanted to start my own, my own private equity fund because I just wanted to have ownership of my own projects. I wanted to be able to fund my own projects. Um, so raise the fund, uh, move back to London where my family is. Uh, after a few months, I decided I just needed to have that energy of New York back in my life. So I moved back. Um, started a fund and I went through a whole process of uh, acknowledging that I was living a very superficial life. Um, I reached that point where I checked all my boxes, um, having a master's Ivy League and having a private equity fund and having the private equity fund boyfriend and having the apartment that you want and having all these things that you think that you want, but in reality, when you get there, you see that there's nothing on the other side. So um, it lasted maybe for two years um, until I realized that I had to start all over again and deconstruct all of that. Um, And and went through one or two years of transformation process, um, trying to find like really a meaning in this whole thing. Uh, you just mentioned fate before, and fate is something that took me a long, long time to get to that point. So faith, right? Not fate. Faith. Faith, yeah. yeah. Belief, spirituality. Belief, yeah. yeah. Understanding that um, it's a choice. You can choose to believe or you can choose not to. But you will live a much happier and healthiest life if you choose to do so. And it's really just a micro choice in your head. It's like a switch that you turn on, where you choose to believe that, believe in humanity, believe that we're going towards a better future, um, believe that things can be changed uh, and that you can have an impact on things. Sounds like you're talking about optimism. Yeah, it's optimism, but on a much deeper level because you actually feel it 
with your body. It's not about rationalizing it or thinking about it. How did you come to your understanding of faith today? Today, I think I, I internalized it, and it's just part of who I am. Uh, but it was a very rational process to get there, to really reach, reach that moment of it's just a choice. Did you read, like, a book? Did you go to a Vipassana meditation? Like, what specifically <laughs> brought you there? Like, what's step one? Mm. What's step zero, you know? So for me, it was yeah. about connecting with the feminine. So that was a big part of it. Um, I realized I, you know, was pretty much in my head my whole life. And uh, my whole life was about being the good student, being, you know, the good manager, uh, reaching those levels of success, material success um, that I had in my head. Um, and like I said, once I got there, I just realized that there was nothing. And, and then reconnecting with my body and acknowledging that I had a not just a head and a mind, but also a body, and especially a woman's body. Uh, that was a big part of my healing. Um, acknowledging that, uh, acknowledging that being a woman, it's, some, it's different from being a man. You need different things. You live in a cycle, basically. We live through different cycles, are connected in a very mysterious way to this uh, moon that's rotating around our planet. Um, I think reconnecting with my body reconnected me with the universe in a way. Um, that's the path that I took. Um, so it took, yes, a silent meditation last year um, for eight days, where after a few days of silence, you really start feeling your own presence, um, which is scary when you have no connection to it. And when you never felt it before because you're too busy doing things or thinking about other things. Um, and just a process of getting to know yourself. It's, it that. sounds simple, but it's actually probably the hardest thing we have to do on this plane of reality. You know, the point of existing on this physical planet is to have an embodied experience. Mm. And, it, and we've disembodied the embodied experience by talking about our brains and our minds so much, but not connecting the two mm -hmm. and, and showing how important it is through movement to actually heal our minds and, and vice versa. Mm -hmm. there, there is a really strange disconnection that happens uh, in our society, or how we disconnect the physical experience from the intellectual experience. And it is about reconciling those two and understanding that it's really one thing, and that's the oneness that we talk about, and the end of duality, really. Once we accept that we are both at the same time, and they're both beautiful, like you said, uh, you love your mental capacity and your brain, and that's beautiful, but it cannot be dissociated. That's the risk. And that's how I think people are getting sick today, because of that dissociation. So how do we solve it? How do we help people <laughs> reassociate and, and reassemble? I, I came to the conclusion that it starts with very simple things, like eating right, sleeping, like very basic things, just taking care of your body, uh, sleeping, eating well, uh, just acknowledging your body during the day, how you feel. 
Um, I think yoga helps definitely a lot. Meditation helps. Um, it's awareness. Awareness is the key thing. Um, and then there are different techniques. For me, dancing, uh, movement meditation helps a lot. Um, but it's more simple than we think. It, it's just about committing to change. How do we destigmatize the notion that everything we've just spoken about um, is hippie or is, <laughs> is liberal or is left of center or is um, mm. only for certain types of people? How do we depoliticize? Deep, how do we depoliticize? Wow. How do we <laughs> depoliticize and destigmatize um, awareness practices and movement practices and um, lifestyles that allow us to be a little bit more present and to take a few more breaths and uh, really think and be before we speak? Um, that's a great point because I've been thinking a lot about this. How do we make the conversation less hippie? Um, and also how do we don't make the same mistakes that the hippies did? Um, so, you know, you've been in this space, you looked around. Um, one of the things that I had in mind for this space is that why is it that because we meditate and we do yoga and we eat Ayurvedic, we need to be in a place that you know, has hanging uh, plants and uh, it and, and looks um, like a hippie place in the middle of Colorado, you know. It can still look beautiful. We have amazing art and we have amazing technology, actually. We're doing, implementing AI throughout the building. Um, and it still looks like any other place in New York, but you have that concept behind it. Um, so one is about just bringing it to the mainstream. Uh, let's say you could have a, any kind of business that moves into this space and have their office here, and they could just experience living in a different way, but with a look and feel that feels like you're sitting in a very nice place. You know, um, a lot of people mention when we open that the conscious community could never pay the rents that we're looking for. Um, and that's part of the stigma, you know, thinking that because it's uh, conscious, then it has to be cheap. Uh, it has to be a certain level of design and experience. Um, so that's part of it. I think there is a need for something that's a little bit more design and a little and a nice space, uh, simply that has that consciousness behind. Um, so that's number one. The other big one is education from the beginning. So I think it starts with kids. Um, I see kids meditating now in school, and I think that's beautiful uh, because it's implementing that in throughout their in lifestyle uh, from the very beginning. Uh, so education is a big part of that. Because like you said, we're evolving. We're all feeling it. It's not a revolutionary movement. It's an evolutionary movement, what's happening. We've been evolving for years now, and we're all feeling that we're, doing, we're going through this quantum leap. Um, Barbara Marks, who wrote Conscious Evolution, she, she says that humanity goes through certain quantum leaps. So we were apes at some point, and at some point we're humans. We're not apes anymore. That evolutionary movement happened for thousands of years, probably. Uh, but at some point, it happened. 
And now we're going through this evolutionary second quantum leap in in history of humanity, which is basically we're becoming a collective body uh, with a mind of its own. Uh, and technology is allowing that. And technology is actually expanding that and making it exponential. Um, so the way we, our species, gonna merge or interact with machines is how we're gonna evolve. So I'm very interested in that conversation um, on how, through developing our own technology, we are going to become these super species that we're all talking about. I love that. It's not a revolution. It's an evolution. And... Uh the next conversation mm-hmm. we're going to have is talking about the super species and hopefully it's it's sooner than later because i'm very keen on understanding the social robotics movement which is mm-hmm. what you're inferring um, and referring to which is mm-hmm. how can technology complement us as humans not just replace us but mm-hmm. complement our experience and improve our experience on this planet mm-hmm. so thank you magdalena for being mm-hmm. with me today this is such a beautiful opportunity to get to know you more and to know your story Thank you so much for having me. If you want to learn more about Magdalena's evolutionary movement of the future, Magdalena invites you to visit The Assemblage in Manhattan. They host nightly events about the future of humanity. You can even book a tour of the space. You can visit theassemblage.com for details. Thanks again to Magdalena Sartori. If you've enjoyed this episode, Check out my previous interviews where I talk to people like Jesse Israel, who went from managing the band MGMT to founding a meditation movement, or Ani Okazian, senior manager at OMD, who shares why she embraces her jealousy and the power she draws from her yearly self-audit. If you want to learn more about us and listen to back episodes, come on by and visit the show page at livetbd.com. That's live to be determined. We'd also love it if you share us with a friend. And thank you for listening to the TBD podcast. This has been a production of TBD to be determined and is a Burger Works project. A special thanks goes to my producer, Mervyn Daganos, and the two artists who created our music, Caleb Spaulding and Anna Becker. See you next time. <laughs>